This is a TBN UK podcast. In this series, you can hear some of the interviews from TBN Meets, where faith meets culture. Hear from Christian ministries, innovators, authors, artists, and creatives. Hello, TBN family, and welcome to another episode of TBN Meets. Today, we're joined by Dr. Liz and Reverend James Greer, who started a youth ministry in Exeter called Unlimited. Now, their heart is to help the youth in their community encounter God. And they've been doing it for around 10 years, and they are where they are now, but they've only just begun. Welcome, Liz and James. Thank you. Thank you. So, as First of all, what the first thing we're going to talk about is the book. So, Beginning Unlimited, and that's actually based on your real-life diary entries. This felt like a good place to just enter the interview. Why did you decide to publish your most private (laughs) thoughts? Most people are hiding their journals. (laughs) I think I couldn't find anything out there to read that looked like the journey I was walking. You know, I couldn't find anyone who was telling me what it was like to be married to a vicar or living life as a Christian when it was really tough, and just sort of a real-life honest look at life and so I just wanted to do something that didn't seem to exist and that for me just started in my journals that was a natural way to write um, and just to be honest and it's really interesting actually I mean how did you feel when <laughs> when your wife was about to publish her private thoughts <laughs> uh, we have a bit of a disagreement about this because the beginning of the journal I didn't know she was writing it when she was writing it originally uh, talks about me being out a lot, me not understanding her feelings, which is then illustrated by the fact I didn't know she was writing it. Uh, she claims I come out of the book really well, and it's mainly positive about me. I only see the negative, but I think it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it is really interesting. So my dad was a pastor when I was growing up, so I, you know, grown up as a PK. You mentioned being known as the vicar's wife. Now, yes. how did that make you feel? And, and, and what kind of connotations, I suppose, did that raise in your own mind? So that happened uh, about a month after we'd moved to the village. I really didn't know anyone. I was standing outside the primary school waiting to pick up my four-year-old son. And uh, someone said, oh, mind your P's and Q's, the vicar's wife's behind you. And I was like, oh my goodness, they're talking about me. Because when we were in Birmingham, we, we'd come down from Birmingham, a huge church where our focus had been you know, the thousand people in church and everyone knew who we were and we weren't defined by that role. And suddenly I realised we were in this community where the first thing they saw was the vicar and his wife and then the second thing they saw was James and Liz. And it, it really shocked me. Um, so, yeah. And why do you, why do you think that is? Because I'm assuming if another new neighbour moved in that they just yeah. didn't know what they did, they would just know them as their names. What do you think it is about this particular job and role that points people out? I think the fascinating thing in the village we were living in at the time was there were no real community leaders. So there was the headmistress and then the vicar and not a lot else. And so there's there's that, that you are an identified character. There were police people in the village, but you wouldn't have known they were. I think also it's a bit of an anomaly in people's lives that what is a vicar like? You imagine there's somebody off telly, grey hair, Mm. wearing dresses and things. So to have somebody who's your age, who's a vicar's wife or a vicar, there's a whole curiosity. Yeah, a new phenomenon. So in your book, you even question, or find yourself questioning, what Christianity looks like and means in a new setting. Mm. Tell me a bit more about that. So, I mean, I'd come from a a large church, I said, of about a thousand people with services, you know, three services on a Sunday to in a village church where we had church once a month for the family. And so it had to look totally different. I was with people 
who had no interaction with church or idea of faith, you know, all the other mums standing at the school gate just, you know, didn't have any contact with church. And if they were going to have any, it was going to be with the vicar and his wife. And I realised that that was a really useful label, but also I had to sort of rely on God in a new way. It wasn't coming through church experience or big worship or, you know, amazing teaching. It was coming through sort of my own private interactions and, and, and church occasionally. Yeah. Because big churches do have their pluses and minuses in that very sense, yeah. don't they? I mean, can you speak a bit more kind of into that for you? Uh, I think big church, one of the challenges is it so easily becomes consumer. You come and get what you want, you go away again, you don't have to, you don't have to carry your own identity in it almost. Mm -hmm. That sense of village where everybody's looking at you and the way you interact with somebody else in the classroom, the way you talk to the teachers, and particularly I think for a vicar, people are going, that's what Christianity looks like. And so they can write off faith without ever going near faith. It's just around us. Mm. And then also in traditional church, you've got people coming along who actually are possibly more passionate about tradition than about engagement with community. And so there's a whole question around that. Mm. So we'll move away from the book for a moment and just kind of ask, tell us a bit about you both. And actually, let's go back. Like, how did you meet? <laughs> okay. Well, we met at university. James was actually the year above me. So when I turned up at university, I was terribly unsure of myself. And he was one of the first people I met. Um, I wasn't a Christian at the time, uh, but I became a Christian after about a term. And from there, we um, grew a friendship, which turned into something more. And what's your side of the story? So I was helping lead the Christian Union and, um, and Liz was weirdly signed up for Christian Union, not as a Christian, because <laughs> she was told by her sisters, get as much post as you can. I was like, nobody signs up for Christian Union unless they're a Christian. Uh, and then she didn't, she was kind of felt like she was sliding away from faith because she wasn't really living it or engaged in it. And um, so I thought she was an easy target for a college mission. Let's, <laughs> let's go for the backsliding Christian rather than go for somebody who's really anti. And then a coffee and then a yeah. day and then here we are today. So you said you, you were at a large church in Birmingham. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you moved through Old Devon. So yeah. when my dad was pastoring, we moved like from mm -hmm. Oxford, Sheffield, Sheffield to Birmingham. How was that? transition and a routing period for you and your family? So I think Birmingham, as well as being a large church, was the first place in my life I really felt that I belonged. I made some really good friends and I had such an amazing network. And the whole period of, of that my life was really important. So to leave that was massive um, and quite painful, but equally we knew that we couldn't stay. We knew, we had known always that we were there for a short time and we were moving on. And so we were excited about what we were called into. But I did find myself with a two-year-old and a four-year-old in uh, the middle of nowhere with no friends, no kind of structure for my days. And a husband who was very excited about his new job and he was out all the time. And that was really, really hard. And, and I think you'll see it in the book. I, um, I love change. I love the new excitement. Uh, I'm a pastor, so I'm all about people's emotions and engaging with them, but maybe slightly oblivious to the cost for Liz. Well, I think that's common in pastoral families, having grown up in one. I love my dad very, very much, but it was very much that sense of, you know, the call mm -hmm. is not something you always know that you're marrying into, or yeah. in my case, yeah. born into. Yeah. And so, you know, how as a family, how did you navigate that to kind of get to where you are with it now? I think I've always had to remember that I married James and um, I've always known he was going to be a vicar, but it wouldn't matter what he did. His, he was also, he would have been a teacher if this hadn't worked out, but he would live life at 110%. He loves people. He would be out there interacting. And so 
it, almost it doesn't matter what the job is. I have to love him and, and I need to not hold on to things that hurt me. So if I will store every resentment and thing that was difficult against him, that would just eat away at us. So I do try and keep short accounts and talk to him. So maybe I get across him <laughs> a little bit, but equally I've got to let things go. This is the man I married and he's doing a job that he loves. And that's just part and parcel of our lives. And we've got to make that work. And there's a massive challenge, isn't there, of, of what's our call, God comes first but marriage really matters. And I think if you're, it's your job, it's not your job, it's the whole of your life. Mm. And family can easily, easily take second place yeah. wrongly. We're just doing marriage prep for a couple, he's gonna get ordained. And, um, and we were talking about going to the pub after church. She wouldn't want to, he would want to. And him choosing to go to the pub over her, is that rejection? Yeah. Or, or how does that work? Mm. And, and I think Liz is great at putting some boundaries around me. The danger is I need to not just rely on Liz to make me remember I've got a family, I need to take self-responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that my children don't feel that everybody else in the world is more important than they are. Yeah. I mean, I think I may have said that to my parents. <laughs> I absolutely know now, it is not true. And in that same kind of vein, did you, you said you, like, you were called the vicar's wife and often mm -hmm. vicar's children are called like pastor's yeah, yeah. kids mm -hmm. or, you know, do you feel that people still put expectations on the minister's family to behave in a certain way? I think I'm free from that a little bit. I, as I say, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I didn't become Christian until I was 19. So I hadn't seen that expression of, of church family and the, the pressure that was put on the children. Mm. So although I do worry for my boys, we've got two teenagers, we're in quite a small church. And I, I don't think our church at the moment pressures them to be anything other than they are. So. I think they're always encouraging them actually to misbehave. I yeah. mean, I think it's, it's a young church, they yeah. mess with our kids yeah. and they see them being really rude to us. I think the interesting change for us is we believe passionately our church is all age, is or it's what we yeah. aspire to. We're mainly young. And what scares me is more the subconscious thing that many of our church, whether they realise or not, look to us as parents. Yeah. And that's the identity we live in now. And it's subtle, but it's it's how we act towards them. Yeah. has a massive statement on parenting mm. where we don't think we're old enough to be anybody's parents. <laughs> <laughs> don't look old enough, don't look old enough. <laughs> and so we kind of spoke about the larger church and kind of going from, you know, mm. from that large space to this smaller space. Mm. What's the biggest difference you've had between running a big church and a smaller church? First thing is we weren't running the big church. Oh, I was no. number two, so the buck didn't stop with me. <laughs> and if it all went horribly wrong, it was his fault. <laughs> I think for me, when I was in a big church, and it was a specific time in my life when I had my children there, but I'd go on a Sunday and I'd spend time with the people that I knew and almost by definition, therefore, the people that I liked and the people who were like me. And now in a small church, we have dinner together every Tuesday night and it's, it's the whole church. And we are called to love everyone. Mm. And people there are not like me. I can have conversations with people that almost you know are hard work and sometimes it's you think gosh this this is hard work and I'm making all the small talk but I've really learned how to love absolutely everybody not just sort of choose people who are like me and that's been life-changing. So if you could go back and leave the large church or a smaller church which would you pick? I I don't know where God wants us to be. I think, <laughs> That's the right answer. Uh, it's absolutely, I think uh, there's, there's pros and cons mm. to it. I think, interesting now, my challenge would be in a big church that if you go, you can coast. And, and I think what we see in our church is discipleship's real. If someone's in a mess, that, that they can't hide. Mm. And there's a flip side to that, that then it can become really intense. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the danger of big church is numbers aren't everything. It's more about one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Yeah. So you just spoke a little bit about wherever God wants you to be, yeah. you know, how do you and how did you at that time kind of 
wrestle with the call? And how do you think you'd approach the wrestle with a future call? Because we always know God is always yeah. like, his purpose is always unfolding and we're yep. always going in something new. So how we knew that? that we weren't going to stay in Birmingham forever. So, you know, which was great. So we knew that there was an end in sight. And we were looking at lots of jobs um, and just some very safe, you know, mainstream church jobs and nothing was feeling right. And then suddenly this job came along, which was really unlikely. It was uh, for James to be a rural vicar of five small parish uh, churches. And he'd always said, there is no way, Liz, you'll ever get to live in a village. You know, I am not called to that. And, and then there's half a job of working with young people, trying to start a church for young people who don't do church. And it, on paper, it looked ridiculous. And, um, but there was just something about it that caught us. So, and we just knew that we were meant to apply nobody else applied so James so it's quite was, easy. James was the only one on interview and just every step it was just right and I think that's whenever we're following our call and whatever comes next big or little it would just be following the is this right every step and just trying to be obedient in, in all the small things it's never a big picture and it's never a booming voice it's just small steps of obedience and I think God's really kind the fact that I was the only applicant helped um, but like when we were originally, when we went to start a youth church, the team of churches was not in our heart. Uh, I negotiated with the bishop. I said, can I get rid of that? And even if we have to self-finance on my own, whatever that would look like. Uh, and the bishop said no. And looking back now, if we hadn't done the team, yeah. then we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. And also I think my relationship with the church structures would be very different. So God really knew what he was up yeah. to. And he does. He kind of like leads us a little trail of kind yeah. of, if you just go this way, it'd be yeah. easier. Although yeah. sometimes we go... Yeah. And he and he is so kind. And so you've mentioned starting the youth church. What yeah. does that look like now? So uh, now we're still quite a small church uh, of maybe 20 to 30 people. 40 to 50. 40 to 50 people. <laughs> um, and what we really want to be is it's not a youth church. It's a church of all ages because we really believe that church needs to involve absolutely everybody. Otherwise, it's just monochrome. But everybody in our church is passionate about reaching young people. And so we do that in a variety of ways because we're not sitting there ever waiting for them to come to us because they're just not going to come. They, there's no reason to make them want to investigate us. So we're going out actively to the places that they are. So in Exeter, that's they're often on a sunny day sitting on the Cathedral Green or in the gardens outside the college. Um, we go into schools, we run a night cafe. You know, We're trying to be where they are and then be relevant in the situations that we find them in. And as you said earlier about big or small church, I think the danger of the bigger a church gets, the more momentum inwards grows. Yeah. That there's so much need and demand and pastoral stuff, which is important, but we haven't got the energy or time to go outside. Mm. Whereas for us, our church is kind of inside out. Our top imperative is always out because we exist for unchurched youth. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be our first priority. And then it's feeding in as part of that rather than instead of that. And that's so interesting because um, smaller churches, you tend to think of them as having a much older, yeah. you know, demographic and a much older congregation. And it's just so interesting that you say everyone there is really kind of youth focused. So many churches right now are like, where are our young yeah. people? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you've spoken about going out. Tell us a bit about yeah. some of the projects that you found that have worked for you in terms of engaging with young people. So, so the first thing we ever did, which we kind of had in the heart before we went to Exeter, was just wanting to go out on the Cathedral Green, the only green, green space in the middle of Exeter. It's beautiful. Come and visit. Um, and and talking to young people, saying, we're starting a church. Have you ever been to church? What do you think about church? Uh, what do you think about God? And then what do you think God thinks about you? And then offering to pray for people. So kind of not detached youth working, hanging around, building relationship, coming in hard. Uh, and, and what was 
incredible about that is actually most young people have never really com- contemplated Church of God. Even if they went to a church primary school, yeah. it's not in their thinking. Mm. So that was the first thing we did. And then we did loads of schools work. And then the thing that's exciting, which gets everybody excited, is um, we're opposite two nightclubs. So we were, and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And, and saying, can we offer a refuge? Street pastors are already in Exeter. They actually pray in our building. But how do we open up the doors and say, mm-hmm. guys, this is a safe space when you're having a bad night out. Yeah. This is a place you can come in. And just phenomenal young people going, we can't come in here. Oh, no, we're drunk. Yeah. God won't like it. And I'm like, actually, God can see you drunk outside. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's warmer inside, though, and I'd prefer to be in there, so let's go in. Yes. Um, and offering cake, uh, I'm surprised Liz hasn't already mentioned it, is a dominant feature of everything <laughs> yes. we do. Yes, it really um, is. So taking cake to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what changes have you seen in the community in this time and kind of the work you've been doing over time? I, this is kind of slightly off track, but the biggest change I think I'm aware of at the moment is Christian young people from a great church, amazing youth groups, going to university and not going to church. Mm-hmm. Or going to, again, this is not anti-big church, but the danger of Christian young people going where the, where the energy is or where their mates are. They don't really necessarily would choose that church, mm-hmm. but they're scared of missing out, so they go to that church rather than get involved. Mm-hmm. So I would say we're seeing less and less Christian undergraduates going to church in Exeter across mm-hmm. great churches, yeah. uh, which then impacts us because our core team and the people I want our Christian, non-Christian youth to aspire to be like are the undergraduates. So that's a big change. I think, and maybe this has always been there, but we've become more and more aware about it, is young people's lives are really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, the issues around anxiety, self-harm, depression, most of all broken family, and carrying your parents' mess. So I was talking to a young girl yesterday, a young girl, 17-year-old girl, saying kind of her parents are living in the same house, about to sell and split, and she's there holding mum together. Mm. And, and that weight young people carry mm. and, and how God fits into that um, and where the church is relevant to that rather than going, be like this. Mm. Do you feel that we, and I'm not naming this on any big church, small church, yeah. but just we as, a, as, a, as the kingdom of God, as, you know, as his body in this country, are we failing our young people? Totally. And I don't think that's the church necessarily. I think that's society. Mm. The sexual behaviour of young people is not their choice or their fault. It's the inheritance of previous generations. Mm. The fact that on a church is no on their radar, I'm not surprised because church has never really fully engaged young people away from the church. We're good on the fringe, amazing Christian youth work mm. where you've got connection and relationship. But if you've got no point of contact, church doesn't go to where you are fully. Or if they do, it's like this, you get attention. But for the majority, it's not. Um, mm. And I think we failed. We're too busy to point the finger at people's behaviour rather than go bigger. Mm. What does it look like to build great marriages? Rather than looking at don't get divorced, how do we help before people even start a relationship mm. yeah. to make it last? And what do you, do you think some of the, what could we be doing more of? What should we be doing less of <laughs> also in the same vein? I think we just need to be braver. I, mm. Before we started doing youth work or working with these young people, I was terrified. I was, you get the portrayal in the media that they're all in gangs and they're really cool and they're absolutely sorted and they have no need of anyone. Mm. And so when we went out on the green to talk to them, I was terrified. I was like, I have got nothing useful to say to these people and they'll really hate me and they'll, you know, and they'll judge me. And the more I did it, I never, it never became easy 
but I was never rejected. They were always kind and nice and wanted to speak to me. Other people in the church got, though we had a handful of rejections, but it was never to me. And I just suddenly found these guys are hungry to talk to, they don't have many grown-ups speaking into them. Um, and just to give them that opportunity to ask questions about God and faith, they weren't getting from anywhere else. They didn't have people in their family. They didn't have friends they could talk to. So I just think we just need to talk to them and we just need to be real. I was also, oh my goodness, I'm not, you know, fashionable enough and I won't know the music they're listening to, so I've got nothing to say to them. And I've just discovered all I need to be is me. If I'm real and I'm me, then I've got something to offer. I don't have to try and be anything else. And do you think sometimes we're not interested in nothing them actually and they sense that lack of, because like what you're saying is you were just yourself but interested in them. Yeah. And that opened them up. How I think they, that? yeah, they just feel judged by society, and and society is judging them back. So it's just this cycle that we're in. And it's our own insecurities, isn't it? Liz speaks of insecurity not to mm. engage. Yeah. So we go, well, how do I connect with you? One of the most kind of scary and amazing things we've done is we just went to a school which we've got a great relationship with and said, give us some pupils and we'll mentor them. Those are at risk mm. of exclusion. And in the end, they just gave us someone vulnerable for whatever reasons. Never told us the reasons. Eleven kids. We met them fortnightly for an hour. We sent our uni students in, no training. Whoops. But just go, just spend an hour and listen and talk. And um, and someone who was like pulling teeth, trying to get them to talk. But they said the school tracked the data and said all eleven of those students, whose all the data was declining rapidly, either went level or went up, yeah. just because uh, somebody a few years old or an adult spent an hour a fortnight listening and talking to them, that raised their self-confidence. Any church in the country, any Christian mm. in the country mm. could offer that to a young person. Yeah. And it is just so interesting, you know, in the interest. I think it just comes down mm. to someone paying yes. attention to you yeah. and saying, what's coming out of your mouth is important yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm yeah. going mm. to listen to it. Jesus and, was quite good at that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm going to share that with you. And it's just so interesting how just that over a short period of mm. time, so it's not yeah. even long, yeah. The transformation that can happen in them is just so amazing. So what are some of the testimonies that you're hearing back from some of the people you're working with? I mean, that one's amazing, but what are some of the other testimonies? One of my favourite stories is a girl called Laura who's in our church now. She's in her 20s, but we first met her as a teenager. And she was one of the people that we met out on the green. And she will openly say when she first met our team, she was like, no way, I'm not coming back with those weirdos. (laughs) But something stuck with her because she did come in. I think she had another invite through a college friend and she did come back and she just she, as soon as she came in the building a lot of people say this we're based in a church an old church and they say I felt safe yeah. and a lot of people say it's the only time in the week I feel mm-hmm. safe and and that's that was the, the sort of what she physically felt to start with mm-hmm. and then she got to know some of our team and then she talked to us and she's just rediscovered her faith and is just such a you know just a wonderful member of church and it, it's when you see lives changing like that just from the boldness of two people who you had an awkward conversation and actually got rejected by her. But as you know, six years on, she's with us and worshiping with us. And it's just, that, that, that's brilliant. And, and I think part of the thing of Liz's book is it shows you the struggle. Yeah. So we had it easy in a big church. I loved it. We were busy. We felt successful because we were busy. <laughs> um, and one of the problems that I've had is we came down to Exeter going, it'll be slow. A year, sorted. <laughs> uh, and actually, it's more like 10 years. And I think we don't always see the immediate fruits of God. Mm-hmm. So one girl, she actually, by God's providence, she lived in a village where I was vicar, totally unrelated to our youth work. Yeah. And I knew the family a bit, didn't have a strong engagement. Then she was brought to Soul Survivor by a totally different youth group, amazingly, mm-hmm. uh, and became a Christian there. Then she started coming to our church for a bit. 
But then life moved on. She went off and we lost contact with her. We then started going into a local fast food store to help them with antisocial behavior and do some detached youth work. First week we went, bumped into her. She and her sister started coming to our church. She's now got a 16-month-old. She's a single mum, you know, with all the challenges of that. And God's tracked her and chased her. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got yeah. to see the fruit of seeds we didn't even know were sown. Yeah. And it's that it's a six-year journey rather than a six-month journey. And, and that we're in it for the long haul. Mm. You want it? everything quickly. It yeah. feels yeah. a bit mm. like, it feels yeah. like yeah. we've attached that to, to Christian yeah. transformation yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Like, okay, right now, yeah. Yeah. you're yeah. a new creation. And yes, you are, but sometimes it yeah. takes our humanity a bit of a while to catch yeah. up yeah. with and, what and, God's and, doing. And God's bigger than us. And it's his yeah. mission is another lad. We often, when we pray for people, we write down what we feel God might be saying. We've got loads of kind of stuff written around the edge of the piece of paper saying, this might not be God and trust it and all the rest of it. Yeah. Although, um, we wrote some stuff, prayed for him, never saw him again for a while. He came into a night cafe mm. months later and he went, I was going to kill myself. Mm. And I found those cards you wrote stuff on and I read them and I couldn't do it anymore. Which kind of got my attention. I invested in him a bit more. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so we met up with him a bit and then he went off to uni against all odds because he's a... Uh, I think he's an orphan or he certainly he's not got a relationship with his parents. And he went off to uni and I was trying to desperately plug him in and connect him to church and it wasn't really working uh, at a distance. And then he came back another holiday a year later and he went, oh, by the way, I'm going to church. I was like, what do you mean? He went, oh, yeah, I go every week. No, three times a week. Because he'd met a lad at uni who was a Christian who for a year tried to persuade him to go to church. And he said, my mental health wasn't up to it. And in the end, I just went, nothing's going to make my mental health worse. So we went to church. And again, it's just... It's God doesn't give up on people. Because sometimes we think we're doing it, don't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and really, yeah. God is doing it the yeah. whole time and yeah. we get to partner with him. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's yeah. the absolute yeah, privilege. Yeah. So how can people pray for you and also pray for the vision that you have? We love to pray as a team and a family. Great. I, 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 we are the only church in Devon, certainly Church of England Church, mm. who is praying for people with grey hair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think the hidden generation to save young people today is the grandparents. Because yeah. parents come and go, have different relationships, parents, parents that are annoying. Grandparents, more and more, they're doing the childcare in primary mm. school age and, um, and just loving and serving and being safe. Um, and, and so we're the church praying for old people because mm. not to be seen as youth church, but it's really people that don't want a platform, don't want to be preaching, don't want to be having, heading up a ministry. Mm. We just love to sit in the background, come alongside a young person mm. and invest and love them. Yeah. Um, the kind of hidden grey generation mm. is, is a prayer for our church, but actually it's my prayer for the whole of Devon. Mm. Um, mm. And you? And I just think I'd love prayer for, for our whole church. You, we often feel that there's not enough of us and mm. we could do more, but actually God's got that in hand. He knows exactly how many there are of us and what he wants us to do. So just that we're always faithful to doing the right things. There's always more opportunity than, than we can fulfill. So just having that wisdom to go, that's where God wants us. And just to encourage every member of our church to get fully stuck in and just, and, and I think and our bigger prayer for everyone in our church is that we all know who we are, how God created us, what in it, us is special and how we should be living our lives because we're not all the same and, and we want everyone to find their uniqueness and live that out. And, and I guess just one other prayer. Go on. Is just that we become irrelevant, you know, that Unlimited is not special. Yeah. Because my prayer would be every church looks out more. Mm. that we're actually actively, not just going for the fringe, but going out to where young people a long way from church are and just being there for them and loving them. Amazing, amazing. At TBN UK, we want the gospel to be in as many homes in this country as possible. Will you pray with us that we continue to work with the vision that God has given? 
That's one way of partnering with TBN UK. Or you can tell someone about this podcast, our 24-7 programming on Freeview Channel 65 or Sky Channel 582. You can follow us on social media or give. It costs £15 a minute to spread the gospel via TV. For more information on how to join us in sharing the love of Jesus through media, go to tvnuk.org. Thank you for listening.